Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Oscar season Clash. So on Monday, we talked Best Picture winner Dancers with Wolves, and today we're damned well going to open Pandora's box as we talk 2009's Avatar. The concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it you get your legs, babe. Your real legs. Hell yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Pandora will shit you out dead. I'm Alex Zane. <laughs> I'm Vicky I'm Chris Tilly and I'm crying. <laughs> All right then, uh, very quickly, uh, as I always ask at the start of part two of our weekly shows, if you haven't subscribed to us, if you would be kind enough to do that on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, it would be massively appreciated by the three of us. And if you're able to give us a little rating and review, that would be even more appreciated. And if you do leave us a review, there's every chance Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, will read it out, which sounds a bit like this. Uh, this review comes from Guna Love. I think that's maybe an Arsenal reference. Um, Guna Love says, This is by far my favourite pod. 
and I love me a podcast. It's hilarious and the chemistry between the hosts is brilliant. You feel more like you are listening in on a lively and maybe drunken pub chat about movies. <laughs> <laughs> I also give Chris Thrilly six stars because he is the one that reads these reviews and decides which should be read on air. <laughs> that is an excellent <laughs> review, Guna Love. I'm giving you five stars. <laughs> oh, thank you, Guna Love. Uh, right then, part two of Dancers with Wolves versus Avatar. They were Chris's choices this week. Chris, remind us why. Uh, because I sent you a bunch and you liked this one. Great. Now, on Monday, Victoria said, we need to talk about Kevin, which means today I'll be feeling blue as I whisk you off to Pandora. Let me take you on a journey. Natiri is a Na'vi of a curious nature who lives in a picturesque rainforest free from human pollution called Fern Gully. <laughs> I just swapped out the words on the Fern Gully entry on Wikipedia. It's insane. It really works. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, Fern Gully uh, also, just as a matter of fact, uh, features the voice of Tim Curry, and that completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference. Uh, it's all go. All right, let me take you on a journey properly. Dear Class Potter, this synopsis is best imagined being read in 3D. <laughs> Paraplegic former Marine Jake Sully finds himself with a one-way ticket to Pandora to join the Avatar program, where he becomes a nine-foot blue alien called Jake Sully. Once on Pandora, Jake Sully becomes a right devious little shit, pretending to be mates with the scientists while working for the military before finally screwing them both over so he can get his end away with Natiri, another nine-foot-tall blue alien, whose best quality is being incredibly forgiving, seeing as Jake Sully managed to get her father killed in the process of quite literally chasing tail. Anyway... In the end, there's a big fight, <laughs> which Jake Sully was definitely going to lose until the spirit goddess of Pandora, Enya, helps out. <laughs> Sorry. Helps out with an army of animals, which you kind of figure she could have done earlier and a lot less Na'vi would be dead. To play us out, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Leona Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> For oh, your consideration, that's, that's Avatar. Excellent. That's a very good intro, Alex. <laughs> right then, uh, let's talk histories with this movie. Uh, we'll do you, Victoria, first. I went to the cinema to see this film and I was really excited. But as you both know, I have got a lazy eye, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the first 3D film I went to see. And I just thought it might work. But I, what I'd failed to remember is that magic eye posters don't work for me. I can't do them at all. So the 90s were pretty tough because I had to spend a lot of time pretending that I can see a dolphin when I can't see a dolphin. Yes, it's jumping over a rainbow. I don't fucking know. But the social what, for the pressure. Whole decade? <laughs> more or less, yeah. Can you see that, that, that dolphin? Can you see the waterfall? Nope, can't. And people can't believe that I can't see it. And I don't want to display my lazy eye in the 90s because I was a teenager and that's not a great time for me to be doing that. Um, mm. uh, do you, so, yeah. Do you, still, do you still have a lazy eye? 
yeah, it didn't get fixed. So it's if I you've seen, I mean, you've seen me I've quite never, drunk. It only it only happens because you know, I mean, you know, sister and brother in arms here. I have a lazy eye as well, but I had an operation when I was six years old where they popped my eye out and had a fiddle with the muscles Ugh. and fixed it, <laughs> semi fixed it. So when I get really really tired, uh, I, it still happens to me too. Yeah, when I'm very, very, very tired, very, very, very drunk, it it starts to wander, which is so sexy, I found. Um, it doesn't put anyone off. But yeah, it didn't get fixed because I was just on a waiting list forever because it was the 80s. Um, and so then it was too late. It's a bit of a sad story. It's so not really, have, I'm not have you Were you not able... So explain how that works. Could you see this in 3D or not? No, not at all. Oh. Um, so I was really disappointed. Um and then, so when I was watching it, I was I was like, right, shit, it's not going to work. That is, that's a shame. Everyone else seems to be having a great time. Um, so I was really watching it for the story, um, which was not the best possible experience at the time. And then I just thought, oh, maybe I don't, maybe I've just not fallen head over heels with it because I can't see it in 3D. Um, but I don't know if that's true. Um, as in... I don't know if it's that. I don't know who's seen it in three D. No, is it, it amazing it or is. not? Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to open the next sentence with this. This is a movie you have to see in three D. <laughs> <laughs> it's so unfair. <laughs> wow, uh, this is going to be a. It's going to be. A, it's going to be interesting then, because you're going to be coming at this from a, a very different angle. I mean, we're all going to be talking about the story compared to the three D, but the three D is kind of important. Chris, tell me your history with the film. Just having to write about it a lot and think about it a lot and talk about it a lot. You know, this was such a huge release back when I was working at IGN. And we were, our parent company was Fox. And I remember there was a lot of, um, there was at the time, Fox owned IGN. There was a lot of fear that this wasn't going to do well. You could hear it from the sort of the upper echelons of the of the, of the the company, um, that there was a lot riding on Avatar being a success. So, yeah, I, I went to the States. I went to a film festival, interview, interviewed John Landau, the producer, about it a couple of years before. And then I sent you a video, you guys, of the, the day I went to Avatar Day. August thirty first, two thousand and nine, where everyone could go and see fifteen minutes of Avatar for free all over the world, basically, to try and get people on board. Um, which was good timing because the trailer had come out the day before, and everyone said it was basically Dances with Smurfs. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that's my memory. Saw it at the cinema and was very impressed with it um, visually. You know, you've got to see it in 3D, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and haven't given it much of a thought ever since, even though obviously there's been theme parks, there's a theme park opened and there's sequels getting made, but it's not stayed in my consciousness, which is, I think is quite a common thing with Avatar. Yeah, I mean, my story is not dissimilar to yours. Uh, the parent company I was uh, of the company I was working for was also uh, 20th mm. Century Fox. So you, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, they've never really released exactly how much this cost them. Uh, there's uh, estimates, but uh, it's probably close to half a billion dollars is what they put into Avatar. So there was a real tension behind this movie, uh, which actually translated really well for film journalists because you were glad-handed like crazy. It was like, come to this. Hey, do you want this? What's this? Look at this. It's Avatar. Isn't this cool? So I saw at the Fox screening room in Soho Square uh, a really early um, 15 minutes in 3D, and it it genuinely blew my mind. And then I watched your video, Chris, that you sent through um, uh, about Avatar Day, uh, which is great. I hope you're going to post that on our Twitter, at ClashPod, because Unlikely. Unlikely. it's very, very entertaining. Uh, but it's you and your then boss, Alex, uh, mm -hmm. so a lot like now, um, <laughs> said, uh, he said, I, I really like the bioluminescent stuff. And you said, you didn't like that. Are you nuts? That was the best bit. 
of the preview footage in 3D, the stuff where Pandora's forest lights up at night. I couldn't believe that. I was as angry with you, little baby Chris, in the video in 2009 as I am now. I haven't watched the video to the end because I find it too cringeworthy. But I feel like I was, wasn't I saying that I just, I thought the nighttime stuff, I felt like I was watching a cartoon, whereas mm. the daytime stuff, I felt like I was watching a sort of cool CG world being built. I just, mm. I don't know. That's that. I think yeah. that was my thinking at the time. Yeah. Well, I flew to LA as well uh, to interview uh, James Cameron on the Fox lot. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever met him. He was very cool. He was a bit scary, but he mm. liked me after I started vomiting words about aliens being the greatest sci-fi movie ever. Uh, then visited his office, played with didn't loads he, of props. Sorry, didn't, didn't he say to you, no, Aliens better, but Aliens is very good? No, he didn't, actually. Okay. He was like, I, I agree. And if you ever do it on a Clash Pod in future, uh, which is an idea I've just come up with for a podcast you guys should do, uh, it's, <laughs> it's going to be aliens that should win. Um, but yeah, came back, hosted the premiere. So Avatar was a big part of my life. And um, watched the movie in 3D. And in 3D, Victoria, it is incredible. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Watched it about five years ago on TV, not in 3D. And I was like, this is rubbish <laughs> and i think maybe because the bar had been lowered so much when i watched it again for this show which is only the third time i've watched it i've really enjoyed it uh, a lot more than i was expecting so shall we talk a little bit about the history of this movie i hope so because there's quite a lot to talk about yeah yeah, let's open Pandora's box. <laughs> you are so taken with that, aren't you? <laughs> I love Is it because he's a bit rude? <laughs> oh, that's fair. Uh, 1994 is when James Cameron wrote his first 80-page treatment for Avatar with the intention of making it straight after he finished working on Titanic. And he says he was inspired by every single science fiction book he'd ever read. And as well as that, and I think this influence is clear, the adventure novels of Edgar Wright. Burrows. I had not ever drawn the dots until this show uh, between Avatar and John Carter. And you can imagine now what high hopes Disney must have had for John Carter. Um, it's still, just as a little aside, it's still my favorite story about how studio thinking works, John Carter, because obviously it's based on the Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, uh, The Princess of Mars. And the studio were like, mm, teenage boys are not going to come and see a movie with princess in the title, so we're going to call it John Carter of Mars. And then they went, hmm, a lot of movies about Mars flop, so let's drop the of Mars. And that's how it ended up. A fucking movie, a sci-fi movie set on Mars called John Carter. Uh, it's like the most ridiculous thing in the world. It's like it, it could be – I, I remember first hearing John Carter and going, was it some sort of legal drama? I couldn't believe it. Uh, right. Also influencing Cameron, uh, certainly because he's a massive fan of the manga, and I'm assuming the anime too, Ghost in the Shell. So according to uh, JC, he began working on preliminary drafts of his movie in the mid-90s. He'd also watched an uh, animated film, Pocahontas, and he loved the idea of a soldier falling in love with the native daughter of his enemy. Um this was set, this movie, to be released in 1999, this version of Avatar, with a budget of $100 million. So uh, 10 years earlier and about $400 million less than it was eventually released. There is obviously a problem at this point, which is that Cameron decides the technology wasn't ready yet there to fulfill his vision for Avatar. So he went off to make his documentaries under the sea and wait. 
And that is the common story. I think, and this is just a guess, but I also think he was setting up his next gig in case Titanic was a flop. And the minute Titanic wasn't a flop, because everyone was talking about Titanic being a flop at that point, and the minute it wasn't a flop, and it not only isn't a flop, but goes on to you know set the equal the record for number of Oscars won and be the highest grossing film in history, you probably go, yeah, I'll take a break now. <laughs> I'll take some time off, rest on my laurels. Don't you think that was that had something to do with it? I never thought about it that way. I mean, he does seem like someone who isn't that bothered about cinema. He wants to push the he wants to push it forward as an art form, but also he wants to do what he is interested in other things. He's interested in history and science and biology. And so I think he's, he's more passionate about those projects underwater than he is about making movies. Yeah. Um, all goes quiet on the Avatar front until 2006, when he says that what Weta did with Gollum and King Kong, the technology has caught up to his vision, uh, which mainly means we're not going to get the infamous dead eye look that happened with motion capture slash performance capture. Um, I, I love the term uncanny valley in this research, which oh, I've never I heard that. before. Isn't <laughs> it great? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, if, if you're not familiar with Uncanny Valley, it's uh, roboticists and animators uh, talk about it. It's the negative effect that is created in an audience when something approaches human in appearance but isn't quite there. It creates this creepiness. Uh, for reference, see the Polar Express. <laughs> yeah, but it's why like Wall-E works, but the Polar Express doesn't. Because if you drew two a little smiley face. Um, a human being can try and attach some sort of emotion to it, but then you go too far and, yeah, you look dead and we, it freaks us out. No one's getting on that train, Tom Hanks. No one. <laughs> so Cameron has two films that he's considering making, Alita Battle Angel or Avatar, and because it's his own idea, he plumps for Avatar. <laughs> now we get into one of my favourite stories in the history of moviedom. Uh, casting. The studio, Fox, they wanted Matt Damon uh, so Cameron sits down with Matt Damon and says, I want you to do this movie. Um, he actually said, his actual words were, I don't need anybody. I don't need a name for this or a named actor. If you don't take this, I'm going to find an unknown actor and give it to him because this movie doesn't really need you. But if you take the part, I'll give you 10% of the profits, which would have netted Matt Damon so far around $250 million. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and he said no. And he jokes about it. He said all this openly at a Ford versus Ferrari Q&A. He was like, yeah, I know. I, I, as an actor, I think I've left more money on the table than any other actor in history. So, um, yeah, Matt Damon said no. And then the studio went, Jake Gyllenhaal. And Jake Gyllenhaal went, no, I think I'm going to make The Prince of Persia instead. Nice one, Jake. Um, <laughs> So in the end, uh, he went for Sam Worthington, which really worked for James Cameron because he said he wanted an unknown. He wanted a guy that you could have a beer with before transforming him into a leader. Uh, There's a very famous story about Sam Worthington living in his car uh, when he was auditioning for Avatar. It, it, he was, but of his own choice. And he wasn't like down and out. And this wasn't his saviour, this movie. Uh, it, he was a star in Australia at the time of auditioning for Avatar. He'd also auditioned to play James Bond um, for Casino Royale, lost out to Daniel Craig. I, I found a quote about the car story. 
and he says, I put myself there. Nobody else did. I did it. I wasn't struggling. I had a very successful career in my own country. I was just controlled deleting my life before someone else could fucking do it. <laughs> no idea what okay. that means. No idea. <laughs> But I did once see him shouting into his phone outside a bar in New York and I figures that he'd say something like, <laughs> shut up, I'm fucking deleting my life. <laughs> He's like, what are you? Well, uh, uh, I saw James Cameron talking about casting him, saying you have to believe that everyone would follow him. Um, Sam Wellington was perfect, but he talked like Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> Which I think is a bit disrespectful. Well, Sam Worthington said it was easier learning Navi than it was learning an American accent for this movie. Well, yeah, uh, I don't think he did learn an American accent for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got Stephen Lang as Colonel Quaritch. Um, now, you watch Stephen Lang in this movie, and for me, he is... He's, he just screams James Cameron movie. Like, mm. he is so perfect in a James Cameron movie. And lo and behold, I find out that he'd unsuccessfully auditioned for Aliens, um, from which Cameron had remembered him and sought him out for Avatar. Uh, it wasn't always going to be Stephen Lang. There was talk of it being Michael Bean, uh, obviously Hicks, uh, who from Aliens. Um, he read the script. He saw some 3D footage, but he wasn't cast. And that was because... Cameron cast Sigourney Weaver and then was like, I can't cast you as well, mate, because it would remind people of aliens. Although he didn't say, I can't cast you as well, mate. Uh, Michael Bean found out because his kid goes to the same school as producer John Landau's kid. And John Landau's kid told his kid, your dad ain't getting that job. <laughs> wow. Uh, the, the alien link as well is why that's changed something else. I, I saw um, it's it's useful doing these Oscar films because there's all these very lengthy documentaries about the films we're doing this month on YouTube. And the, the Avatar one, you've got a lot of behind the scenes footage. And when they're doing, I think it's a table read. Uh, Sigourney Weaver's playing Grace Shipley, and, um, mm, and Cameron says, yeah. "So we've got to change your name because it's too similar to Ripley." <laughs> so he he tells her she's called Grace August, which is the first time she hears that, and it changes, I guess, at some other point to Grace Augustine. Um, so Cameron gets to work on the script and developing Pandora. And um, the amount of time spent creating this world is a pretty staggering, and b way too much to go into detail on this show. So a few tidbits. Um, on the inspiration for the look of the Na'vi, it started with a dream his mother had when he was a kid about a 12-foot-tall blue woman, which he thought was a cool image. He then says in 76 or 77, he was writing his first screenplay, a big science fiction story, took place on multiple planets. At the end of the film was this planet with a native population that was 12 feet tall and blue and gorgeous. So I started to write Avatar. As to why, uh, I don't know if you... Uh, found this in your research or whether you were too uh, overwhelmed by dancers with wolves, uh, Victoria. But uh, as to why the, the Na'vi have breasts, um, <laughs> this is uh, it's quite an interesting story behind this. Did you this. Google so, this, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I Googled it before and the movie was a much more erotic experience as a result. Uh, why the Na'vi have breasts? So they are non-placental Animals, mammals, uh, they are most likely egg-laying mammals. Um, so James Cameron is on the actor's studio uh, with James Lipton, who basically poses this question, sort of goes, they, they, they would have no need for breasts. Mm. Uh, why do your Navi have breasts? And James Cameron says, because this is a movie for human people. He said a very different thing to Playboy magazine. He said, right from the beginning, I said she's got to have tits, even though that makes no sense to her race. What is wow. it? What is it? With filmmakers and actors, 
when they get interviewed, and musicians, something happens when you do an interview from Playboy. I swear, I have read more controversy from people who are otherwise non-controversial saying the most uh, absurd things for Playboy magazine. Gary Oldman's been in trouble for Playboy magazine. John Mayer's been in trouble for Playboy magazine. Do, do, do they just sort of go, it's Playboy magazine. Uh, if you don't say tits, we won't print it. <laughs> I, I guess it does tie in with the design of them, though, because the Navi were originally, they were reptilian when they first designed them. But but it was sort of an off-putting look, and Cameron wanted them to be feline because he felt like people would want to be them if they mm. were more cat-like. And I guess I guess as well, reading between the lines, he thought that would be more sexy as well. Sorry, did you just say you'd like to see a cat with breasts, Chris? Uh, yeah, t- cat tits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I thought uh, I thought we'd already got weird enough, but clearly not. Uh, so. James Cameron works uh, with a fancy illustrator called J- uh, Wayne Barlow and a concept artist called Jordu Shell uh, to develop his Navi. I only mention this uh, because they also both worked on Babylon 5 at various points, and <laughs> Babylon 5 is fucking awesome. And I hadn't thought about it in years, and I was like, oh, that was a great show. Right. Uh, the language, the Navi language, a communications professor, Paul Fromer, was brought on board to develop the language, and he was given this uh, instruction uh, from Cameron. Cameron wanted a language that was pleasant-sounding and appealing to the audience. Uh, Fromer ended up creating about a 1,000 words in Navi, and I mention this because he still gets emails from fans about expanding the language with their suggestions. I was just taken with that idea of whether it's like, oh, that's lovely, or whether that is like drag bin, drag bin. That was a long time ago. (laughs) Control out, delete. So as Chris will no doubt be aware of being in the movie journalism industry, uh, when it was revealed that Avatar was going to be in 3D, this was a big thing because 3D was still like, it was a novelty. People hadn't talked about 3D since like Jaws 3D, for example, red and green glasses. But this was going to be something new and it was exciting. It was James Cameron. He was going to secretly, as the rumours go, delay the movie until all the cinemas installed his 3D technology. And Avatar does have this legacy of of creating a kind of short-lived 3D revolution, like where we, everyone, I mean, I certainly had a 3D TV for a while. A lot of people went, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought a 3D TV. Well, Sky were like, we're launching Sky 3D, a 3D TV channel. We're going to start shooting the Premier League in 3D. There was this and huge you love football. Thing. You love football, so that makes total sense. <laughs> uh, it was such a novelty, like because you'd be, I, what would happen is you had to charge the glasses anyway. So you charge these glasses. Have like six pairs of glasses charged around the house at any one time. People would come round. You go look at Sky 3D. Oh, it's the David Attenborough insects documentary again. But put the glasses on. <laughs> put the glasses on. It's amazing. And people would be like, "Wow, wow! Can I take them off now?" Be like. Yeah, yeah, that was that was it. That cost me an extra thousand pounds of technology there. How, eff- just to how go. effective was it at home, though? I mean, I guess it sounds like you. Well, I know you haven't got it anymore. So, w- was it just an annoyance? Was it uncomfortable wearing them for that period of time? Or it's just simply the idea. It, it just doesn't naturally sit well with you. Sort of going to watch TV and having to put on a pair of glasses because you watch TV when you're in and out of rooms. The TV's on and it. It creates this weird formality to the viewing experience as opposed to just sitting and looking at someone and chatting. You've got this pair of glasses on. I mean, the effect was amazing. It was great. It just didn't work socially for 
the experience of watching TV. It felt so quite do you not, strange. Do you not like watching TV with people who just wear glasses normally then? <laughs> I've, 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 I've never had one in my house, Chris, so I couldn't tell you. Uh, but when I do, I'll, I'll let you know. No, because everyone's in glasses. It feels like it feels like because you put these glasses on, you you can't then break away from the TV because of it's. <laughs> it was very strange. I don't know. It'd be interesting to hear from people who had the 3D experience at home and why it didn't work. But it certainly didn't work because uh, it all died a death and. Uh, and we don't talk about Sky 3D anymore at Sky Towers. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think you touched on this, Chris. James Cameron didn't start out wanting to be a director. He started out wanting to be a special effects guy. Um, and he couldn't afford to go to film school. So he taught himself the basics of effects work uh, in movies by photocopying textbooks in a library while working as a trucker. Uh, and his first job... Uh, was on the effects crew of Battle Beyond the Stars, which I'm sure you've mentioned on this show. Roger Corman's movie, Chris. Mm, yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the, the cheap Star Wars knockoff that's actually quite yeah. good fun. Yeah. Uh, and I was sort of reading around James Cameron. I'm going to get to the end of this tech section soon because it just sounds... He's basically assembled a gang of inventors in Hollywood and they just all hang out coming up with crazy ideas for how to push the boundaries of cinema like one of his guys that he worked with on Ghosts of the Abyss the Titanic documentary it was him who he created the 3D camera with for that that he then go on to develop and improve for Avatar and yeah I, I look at it quite cynically sometimes this film and certainly doing the research as well he, he said he was inspired because he he was the CEO of a big visual effects company and wanted to challenge his employees to go further than anyone has gone before so it was almost like the technology came before the story and yeah I'll, t- I'll talk about some of the other problems I have with it but I, I yeah I sometimes I question the, the what's behind this film well, I, I can see where you're going to go with that. But I, I just raise you the, the point that James Cameron has, uh, maybe this is personal to me, but watching Avatar at the cinema in 3D, sorry, Victoria, <laughs> it was truly one of the most memorable moments of my adult cinema going life. It, it blew my mind. And I, I think, I don't think I'm alone in that. And I, I think it's just so exciting to have a filmmaker who's going, all right, so that, that's cinema now. Here's cinema in 10 years. Here's cinema in 20 years. I'm so excited about what he's going to do with these sequels. I mean, I know there's been talk of glasses-less, glasses-less, glasses-less 3D uh, in the future, and I don't know how close we are to that. Do you think but- he'll um, pay for me to have corrective surgery <laughs> and then I can um, experience the full majesty of this? If we all go go and see Avatar 2, then I imagine he'll pay for everyone who can't enjoy 3D to be able to enjoy 3D. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, Lots more tech stuff. Going to gloss over it now. Uh, Basically, the film is 70% digital, 30% live action, and performance capture was never the same again. Suffice to say, the film was a hit, obviously. It didn't win Best Pick. Uh, That went to Hurt Locker, directed by James Cameron's ex, Catherine Bigelow. That was an interest in Oscars. Uh, But it is the highest grossing film in history and adjusted for inflation, the second highest grossing behind Gone with the Wind. It made $1 billion after only 19 days on release which is insane. But then they did, they hiked up, I, you remember they hiked up the ticket prices for 3D. And this is where, this is this just annoys me. They hiked up the tri- ticket prices for 3D. People went to see Avatar. People were like, it's worth it. This is incredible. And then 
literally the next film out of the blocks was Alice in Wonderland, which they converted to 3D to ride on Avatar's coattails, and literally the second film out of the blocks to already create this mistrust in an audience about 3D. And that just went from there, and it just went downhill because studios, were, I think, were a bit short-sighted, and instead of embracing this new technology and doing it properly, they went, quick dollar, and that's why it died. Okay, rant over. Um, because this is an Oscar podcast, the final bit I'm going to mention is the Oscar skit we never saw, which is the Oscars where Avatar was up. Uh, ben Stiller, do you remember Ben Stiller came on stage and he was dressed as a Na'vi? And <laughs> it was kind of funny. The original gag was meant to involve Sasha Baron Cohen as well, where he'd come on as a pregnant female Na'vi and say he was carrying James Cameron's baby and confront him Jerry Springer style from the stage. <laughs> uh, the Oscars cut it because they thought Cameron would storm out. <laughs> Right. Shall we talk about this movie right after this break? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week at Sukarnov. Over on Clash of the Titles, the gang are counting down to the Oscars with a special month of Best Picture Clashes. Rocky won the Oscar that year. Do you guys think it was a deserving winner that year or do you think something else should have won? I think Taxi Driver should have won. I am with you, Vicky. My heart says Rocky. Rocky's one of my favourite films of all time. I don't like yeah. watching Taxi Driver, but it is... No. It is... <laughs> That's true. It is amazing. <laughs> and That's it's, something so true. No one's ever like, oh, do you want a Bosch Taxi 
<laughs> or if that doesn't tickle your fancy, and why wouldn't it? Check out the Book Club on Football Ramble Presents, where former footballer Ricky Hill discusses the highs and lows of his storied career. My schoolmaster came in after us and said, Oh, you know, you've been invited, three of you have been invited for trials up at Luton. And I initially oh, my thoughts were, where, where is Luton? I, I had no idea. <laughs> and, and I said, Well, I'm not going. Um, all that and a whole lot more at Sukarnov. OK, so here we go with Avatar. The movie doesn't explicitly tell us the year, but it does take place in 2154 because that is the date on Jake Sully's video logs. Um, have either of you had a look at the original script for this movie? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <it's a script>. no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mention it because uh, it starts uh, very differently. Uh, it begins with about eight scenes that are set on what reads like a very Blade Runner style Earth. And we actually meet Jake, first of all, on Earth. Um, I'll just read you a bit. Jake stares upward at the levels of the city. Maglev trains whoosh overhead on elevated tracks against a sky of garish advertising. Most of the people wear filter masks to protect themselves from the toxic air. He gets in a fight in a dive bar protecting a woman whose boyfriend hits her, gets chucked out, and that's when the two dudes show up to tell him his brother's dead. That's all shot, though, wasn't it? That was in the extended version. Was it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've seen all that. There's, there's, a, there's oh. an early sequence on Earth um, that I is never completely... saw that. I've never seen... Wait, I've, how have I never seen the extended version? I, I don't know, Alex. I can't answer all these questions. <laughs> That's insane. I've never seen the extended version, so I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, let's crack on with the rest of the movie and ignore the fact that I need to watch the extended version. Um, okay, we're into the film proper now. I've divided it into sections, so you'll be pleased to hear, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Section one. It's great to narrate, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking hell. Oh, so there's a lot of exposition delivered in narration in section one. Uh, this narration is still going on for 10 minutes from now in my section two, when we arrive on Pandora. Um, or V, we all know you have a tempestuous relationship with narration. How did this sit with you? This is bad voiceover. Very, very bad voiceover. Some of mm. the worst. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, to establish stuff, I, I mean, I don't like it, but... Fine. Uh, it can be done brilliantly. See Goodfellas. But not to jump ahead to this section, but just to mention it because it's voiceover, there's a fucking scene later on after he's shagged Natiri and he wakes mm-hmm. up in the tube and he goes, Jake, what the bloody hell do you think you're doing? In voiceover. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? If Sam Worthington can't make a face that says regret, problems. It's just, mm-hmm. I, thought, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Unbelievable. Um, uh, I'm going to counter that with... I think I didn't really mind it because when you've spent close to half a billion dollars on effects that are going on around you to distract from the fact that most of the story is being told in narration, you kind of forget about it. But again, once again, you kind of need to see it in 3D. It grates more in the home viewing experience. (laughs) But in 3D, that start when you're flying through space towards Pandora, you're like, oh, my God, I don't care what's being said and who's saying it. Yeah, okay. Uh, fine. I, I mean, because I, I was paying attention to the story, I suppose. So, mm. <laughs> uh, like I said, that's a mistake. 
Well, we, the story is that Jake Sully, a paraplegic former Marine whose scientist twin brother Tommy, has been killed by a mugger for the paper in his wallet. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> it's just so like, how me like, what was it? So someone ended his life for the paper in his wallet. What, what are we talking about? Someone mugged your brother. Also, it's the future. Yeah. Why in the future have we dispensed with cremation curtains? Why can he see the box on fire? How cruel is that? Like, yeah. in the real world, they close curtains because it's mean. You don't want to see the box on fire. And also, it's 2154. Who's carrying cash? Who's carrying <laughs> <Yes>. cash? <laughs> but it wouldn't have been for the credits in his phone or whatever. Just, oh, <laughs> dreadful. Uh, uh, anyway, his brother was a big financial asset to the Resources Development Administration because he was part of the Avatar program on Pandora and because Jake is his twin, genomes. So... <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Uh, so they pop him in a six-year hypersleep and send him out to Pandora. And in case you wanted to know, Pandora is a densely forested habitable moon orbiting Polyphemus, a gas giant planet located in the Alpha Centauri system. And for reference, Endor is a densely forested habitable moon <laughs> orbiting Tanna, a gas giant located in the Endor system. Uh, if George Lucas had made the Ewoks tall, blue, sexy aliens, do you think people would have had such a problem with the bloody Ewoks? And I say that as an Ewok defender. <laughs> it depends how they behave. They're quite oh, annoying, aren't they? Okay. They're quite annoying. I like the Ewoks. I do. Um, I love the Ewoks. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. Jedi is better than Empire. Have that. Uh, right. <laughs> Uh, with regard to Sam Worthington's uh, legs, uh, considering the amount of CGI in the film, uh, it's actually old school in-camera work uh, that give us uh, his legs. They're actual rubber prosthetics cast from the mould of a real paraplegic's legs and his own legs are tucked under the chair. I oh. did not know that when no. I was watching this. I thought, it's just all CGI. So four minutes in... And because of how dense the exposition is, we're already on Pandora. Four minutes and we're there. Uh, so section two of 47. <laughs> it's still great to narrate, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've got some more exposition now. Uh, Jake wheels himself onto the base. We find out these aren't Marines, but hired guns. One of them, who is a dick, sees Jake in his chair nearly get crushed by one of those walking machines and says something dickish. And because, give Cameron credit, he is a good writer, that same Marine will meet his own death being crushed while in one of those machines. I oh, like that. Oh, that's good. Isn't it? Is that Isn't obvious I, or is that something you'd, you'd have to have seen it a couple of times to clock? It was obvious to me this time. I, yeah. I, I mean, it's not too obvious, but it's just nice that, yeah. uh, that that's Set how he meets his death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Uh, we meet Colonel Quaritch giving his iconic speech uh, about everything on Pandora wanting to eat your eyes for jujubes. Finally looked at what a jujube was. Never known before. I figured it was something squishy. Did, did you guys know? No. Yeah, they're no. just little sweetie beans, aren't they? Are they? Sweet beans. Oh. Uh, they are a Chinese date, uh, the jujube fruits. But yeah, oh. sweet beans are, are do well done, Chris. That'll do. I'll take that. But yeah, it's the red or Chinese date. And I do like that scene because it does set up how hostile Pandora is, which works for me. The arrows in the wheel of the truck, his scars down the side of his head, the speech. It's like, danger, danger. So uh, let's fast forward to 10 minutes. And the narration 
ends <laughs> because we now have video logs. That's uh, that's what yeah. the <laughs> narration with. We've got a video log. We meet Sigourney Weavers, Dr. Grace Augustine. Uh, first of all, how many times do you think Sigourney Weaver has got out of a cryopod thing in her career? <laughs> Yeah, but I like that yeah. she sparks up as soon as she gets out. It's so improbable that people are still smoking in 2150. And I say this is someone who likes smoking. Like, I'm not going to defend it, but I like it. And I'll be sad to see it go, but it is going. So I don't think it's going to be around. Yeah. I'm, I, you see, I, I really I don't like her introduction. I think the first words out of a character's mouth are really important. And Agreed. I hate, yeah. I hate what's wrong with this picture. And then I hate where's my goddamn cigarette. And I hate the fact at which point a colleague, a scientist, who I'm pretty sure when they were studying at uni and then finally got their big job on Pandora, didn't think their job description would be fetching fags for their boss, who then doesn't say thanks at all. Yeah, because uh, she's like really salty and you can be that character. You'd be like, what's wrong with this picture? Where's my cigarette? Blah, blah, blah. But the first thing a character says establishes who they are in your mind. So then she needs to be this kind of arch and uh, quippy and, and all of that. And she isn't really. Like she, she has a little bit of it later when she's injured and she's quite um, salty again. But for the rest of it, she's quite considered. She's a scientist, you know. She's. I, I, I just well, I, I, I politely disagree. I, I find this uh, her opening here. Well, maybe you're right, but this opening for me, it makes me not like her. Like for the rest of the movie, I find her character throughout this movie quite dislikable to the point that I find her death totally unemotional. Mm. as a sequence and it's all because of this opening where she's just like she never really recovers from that what's wrong with this picture which is not a great line to start with it's like ugh yeah. and and I just um, I think it does her a disservice as a, as a character and as an actress um, uh, the cigarette in question is completely CGI it's not a real cigarette she's smoking. Don't lie. Don't lie. 100% on the Blu-ray extras which I watched um, she's just puffing away on nothing they added it in afterwards. I, I can't tell if you're lying. It's I'm not, upsetting me. Okay, I'm, I'm genuinely not. Why? Why do you? Why do you think I'd lie about that? To make yourself laugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is a completely CGI cigarette because I think I, I. I think they were inside them. Um, the giant dome in which he shoots all this CGI stuff, so you can't actually smoke in there because there are other actors around and what have you. Yeah. Interestingly, the film was criticised uh, for her smoking because environmental scientists apparently don't usually smoke. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is the, the, like, there was a lot of criticism about the fact her, her doctor, her botanist smokes, and uh, Cameron did an interview with Wired magazine and says, from a character perspective, we were showing that Grace doesn't care about her human body, only her avatar body, which, again, is a negative comment about people in our real world living too much in their avatars meaning online and in video games. Yeah, but he's also just made a, a huge movie with a strong environmental message. It's all about selling toys and creating a theme park, which completely contradict that environmental message. Oh, you are a bit cynical about this film, aren't you, Chris? Um, we're on our last leg of the exposition setup now. Giovanni Rabisi, who oh. I wish... I'm going to not finish that sentence until I understand Vicky. Oh. <laughs> I love him. 
I love. Right. I would watch him do anything. Yeah. So he's got the this rock pays for everything exposition. What the yeah. fuck? First of all, a what the fuck? Second of all, why are you telling Sigourney Weaver? She fucking knows that. She's been there for years. <laughs> You've got a new guy in the corner. Do the this rock pays for everything exposition mm. with him mm. because mm. he can Agreed. conceivably not know that. Although it seems ridiculous. Also, this rock pays for everything. He's like that'll do. It's like what? What is it? What does it pay for? What does it do? Is it energy? I'm a Assuming it's energy, or is it's it a, not? It's a superconductor at room temperature, Victoria. It's okay. a superconductor, which is kind of special. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go into it. There's a lot of science um, in this movie, and there's a lot about the science of Avatar and whether it's right or not. And I still can't say an obtainium without laughing. Uh, I just. <laughs> I think it's. A, it's just. A, it's my favourite thing. An obtainium. I, I think it's great. Uh, I like Giovanni Ribisi uh, in yeah. this because he's he's Burke from Aliens, and I love I love that character. Uh, just a sort of a more moral Burke from Aliens, but yeah, he's great. Um, so we find out they're on the brink of war. There's going to be military action if Grace's Avatar program doesn't find a peaceful solution, uh, which is by them using their Avatar bodies to make friends with the natives. Now I have a really big question here for you guys. Do you think disguising yourself as another species in order to befriend them is the right way to do it? To put these people at ease by looking exactly like them <laughs> without being them? Or do you think that's a proper they live fucking freaky situation that would make anyone uneasy? It's, it's crackers. They Because also, I'm not sure the Na'vi, they don't, I might have I missed it, but they don't really ever reference it. They've got this idea about like dreamwalkers and demons and things like that. But no one goes, whoa, you're not actually you. Like, that's mad that you've turned up here like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. you've gone to so much trouble. There's that competing with the idea that given that, what's he called? Colonel, General Badass, whoever he is. Quaritch. Uh, Quaritch, sorry. Com- coupled with Giovanni Ribisi's character. I don't, and also with the real world, I don't believe for one second that they wouldn't have just been like, bang, they're gone. I'll have my rock. Bye. I don't believe there would be any diplomatic effort. And that is a failure of the script to make me believe that the diplomacy would, would be a preferred route. There's a stupid speech later where he's like, I'll tell you what shareholders don't like. They don't like <laughs> bad press. And it's like, why don't they like bad press? You're millions of miles from anywhere. Who's going to even know what you do? But also, tell me why shareholders don't like bad press. Tell me the reason. And there's the other thing they don't like is no money and it's like well I get that but it's so lazy you, ah, it's I, think sorry. A, I think a lot of films do it in reverse Alex if you want to put us in their shoes like I'm just trying to think off the top of my head The Last Starfighter does it Cocoon does it where the aliens think we won't want to engage with them if they're in their mm. alien form so yeah. they disguise themselves as humans yeah no fair point fair point I take that on board section three Welcome to the jungle! (laughs) Uh, If you're worried that we're only on section three, things speed up because the second half of the film is a lot of montages. Uh, (laughs) Jake is part of the Avatar program now, but he's got a secret meeting with Quaritch to work as a spy for him and find the Na'vi's weaknesses. Now... Jake seems really keen to do this, despite just kind of making friends with the scientists and finding out that it's really great for him to be an avatar. He's totally like, I will definitely be your snitch. Uh, and this is even before Quaritch goes, well, I, sorry, I was going to offer you your legs back. So maybe wait for that bribe 
be a bit mm. reluctant, and then I offer you that, and then you're like, yeah, okay, now I'll do it. Because otherwise, you just seem like a bit of a dick uh, going, well, he, absolutely, he, he, I can't wait to pull one over on these guys. Well, no, he loved being a Marine, and then he lost. He stopped being a Marine because of what happened to him, and this is his opportunity to be a Marine again. So I think that's fair enough as, yeah. as his his reasons for working with him so readily, even though it's, you know not the most pleasant admissions he's being asked to carry out. Okay. That's two for two, Chris. I take that on board as well, and I like it. Good work. So Jake <laughs> heads into the jungle, gets attacked, and left behind by his team who can't find him. i got a third problem here. See if you can go three for three on this, Chris. This is my new problem. For all the bloody exposition... How have they not managed to set up the rules for Avatar piloting? So everyone's mm. worried about Jake being alone in the forest and being killed, but it is not explained. Mm. If you die as your Avatar, do you die in the real world or do you just wake up? And if you just wake up, then why are they so concerned? And is it just because the Avatar is expensive and they don't mention that because that's not really going to appeal to an audience to worry as much? I agree. There's there's a, there's a grey area there, isn't there? It's Because it, the, the Matrix makes it very clear what the mm. rules are whereas here um when when um david joel moore's character joel david moore's character norm it's not really clear what's up with him when he's injured on pandora and then when he comes out he seems like he's a bit struggling but he's not dead and he's 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 gonna be fine mm. it's i 100 agree you need to tell us what the rules are because they seem to want to have it both ways throughout this film Okay, good. Good. Back on track. So then we've got Jake meeting the Tiri or Jack meeting Rose Mark II. She saves him from a bunch of Pandora whippets that she has to kill. Uh, now, you know, I don't like animals dying in movies anyway, uh, but when they actually look like my dog, uh, I'm like, come on, this is not cool. This is not nice. Uh, and then she's fucking whimpering and she stabs it. And I was like, this is so awful. What I do like is how much time is spent by Natiri pointing out that she doesn't want to have to kill it. And it's because Jake is a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> love it. You like love doing that. this accent, don't you? I, I love it when she goes, you're like a baby. It's great. <laughs> um, so this was uh, the footage where she puts out the torch Puts out the torch and the, the forest lights up. Like I said, I saw in the first 50 minutes. And I think this is just incredible, Victoria, in 3D. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's good in 2D. I really like it. It made me want to go out because like, it looks like a brilliant, brilliant club. But um, in 2D, it was fine. I, it's just I, w I would love to see it in 3D. <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, we've got a really similar beat here uh, as a, a character, rather, wind in his hair, uh, kind of lifted from Dances with Wolves, Tute, uh, the fearsome warrior who doesn't like Jake but grows to love Jake. He turns up at this point. As it turns out, warriors get um, a Na'vi pass in a way that scientists don't uh, because yeah. despite all the work that the scientists have done, Jake uh, goes, I'm a warrior. And they go, welcome to the tribe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's no teach you everything asked. about yeah. us. <laughs> hope for the best yeah uh, which in uh, one of the film's underdeveloped storylines really pisses off Norm the scientist who then later just stops being pissed off yeah. with some narration <laughs> which goes Norm's forgiven me <laughs> <laughs> oh dear uh, uh, alright uh, section four 
was running out of steam at this point. Section four. <laughs> Navi, Avi, have I ever felt so rad? <laughs> what? What? Uh, I'll do it again. Navi, no, don't, Avi, don't. have I ever felt so rad? It's all sites, uh, never uh, ever. Yeah, 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 all sites. Uh, yeah. All right, good. Uh, basically, it's Jake being a Navi and feeling rad. Uh, a lot of montages. Uh, Jake's uh, <clears throat> a lot of montage. Uh, Jake Sully rides a dire horse. <laughs> Jake Sully fires arrows. Jake Sully falls out of trees. Uh, I will say, when they climb up the mountains, the floating mountains, um, even without 3D, that bit where they jump onto the vines when they're going to find a banshee for him, my stomach turned from the vertigo. I was like, yeah. that's good. It looks amazing. It does. Um, all right, so that is the end of that section. I told you the sections would get faster. So after the disaster that was the title of Section 4, welcome to Section 5. <laughs> Flight of the Navigator. Oh. <laughs> five what out just of five. Five out of five. Uh, yep. Uh, Jake gets his own banshee. Uh, QA flying montage, with, which potentially uh, might be too long without 3D. I yes. honestly it think. Is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A shorter home viewing version should have been done because without the 3D, just it's like, uh huh, all right, <laughs> all right, flying again, all right. A uh, little bit about the banshees. I quite like the banshees, so I'll tell you about the banshees. So the creation of the banshee draws inspiration from a load of things: poison dart frogs, tropical reef fish, the head of a barracuda, and my favourite, a car. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, he was like, all these animals and cars. Uh, we, we, we took the go faster stripes off a car. <laughs> and, and the noise it makes is literally borrowed from Jurassic Park. Uh, it's the T-Rex sound. Um, now, the main points we're learning here is where uh, we learn about the holy site, the Tree of Souls, which will definitely come up again. Uh, Sigourney Weaver has the most on-the-nose piece of dialogue in the movie when she says of the Tree of Souls, I would die to get samples. <laughs> Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, then there is an absolutely bonkers decision uh, to have the flying animal, uh, the uh, Taruk, uh, attack Jake in a surprise attack manoeuvre. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't believe it. So this Taruk, is, it's like the, the big bird and the dragon thing in the sky, and it's going to attack Jake, and he's flying along unaware, and before it attacks, it's prefixed with the narration that goes, turns out I'm not the biggest thing in the sky. You're like, mm -hmm. right, so something's going to attack him. Brilliant. <laughs> Where's the shock? Where's the surprise there? I'd love to have seen that scene shot where you're just like, Da, 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 everything. Whoa! I couldn't believe it. I just mm. I, I, that 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 it, I, that broke me a little bit because I was really riding this wave of like good feeling, and then I was like, oh come on, God, don't say there's an attack coming from above, <laughs> viewer. <laughs> right. Then we get uh, the scene that was cut from the theatrical release, which is Navi Sex, uh, put back in for the home release. Um, I did think when he goes to kiss her, it's a good job that the Navi kiss like humans. Um, otherwise, it would have been like my first kiss. Where she goes, what are you doing? 
<laughs> what did he say? Whereabouts were you? <laughs> and I don't mean geographically. Where were you? <laughs> you do mean geographically. What you? <laughs> what did you do wrong, Alex? Oh, it's just you know, yeah. You, you you watch a lot of movies as a kid, and your first kiss comes along, and you're like, right. So you just jam the tongue in, and <laughs> jam it in there. Get as far in as possible. That's the way. It is. <laughs> uh, what are you doing? <laughs> All right. Would you would you shag a navvy? Well, to quote James Cameron, they got to have tits. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, things go bad now in section six, uh, which I'm calling Jake sullied the relationship. Mm. <laughs> Nothing's. I'm just going to give you a heads up, Chris. Nothing is going to beat Flight of the Navigator. No, that's fine. So, no, I was more. Uh, I was more about what Jake does. I, I like your title. It's fine. Oh, okay. Uh, so, yeah. Why, why, why don't you tell me what you what you don't like about what Jake does? I think he, he's running scared because he's he's got his Navi shag that he wanted and she says, I'm with you now, Jake. We are mated for life. Yeah, and he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, bollocks. <Yeah. laughs> oh, bollocks. That's what he's like. What the hell are you doing? He's like, oh, whoa, no, no, that's you not offered, no, You offered no. me the best singer and the best hunter. I should have gone with one of them. Where's, where's Leona Lewis? Yeah, I'm not ready for a long-term relationship right now. Um, I need to do some work on myself and I wouldn't want to involve you in that. <laughs> yeah, well, things aren't going well uh, uh quaritch finds out that jake sully is a traitor natiri finds out that jake sully is a traitor <laughs> uh there is a great moment uh, here where grace says to quaritch what are you gonna do shoot me ranger rick and the look that he gives her when he says i could do that you see for the first time that he's actually kind of insane i really love the look he gives because he's like a little man he's been made to look little and he's like i could i could shoot you though i reckon i could <laughs> it's really good um and then we get the big moment of the navi's home tree being destroyed uh a little bit of denial here i feel from jake um because the home tree is on fire behind him and in narration jake says I was a warrior who dreamt I could bring peace. And you're like, mm, he did tell Quaritch <laughs> where the load-bearing structures of that tree that's on fire behind <laughs> you were. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's your story and you, you can have it, but don't probably don't tell anyone else. Um, section seven, Trudy, 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 Trudy! Trudy! <laughs> Kaiser Chiefs. Judy, Judy, Judy. No. Yep, yep. All right, yep. all right. Michelle Rodriguez, uh, very little to do now. Uh, rescues the team. The good guys are rallying. Uh, Jake is going to show the Na'vi that he's the one who can unite all the tribes. He'll become the Taruk Rider of Legend. Uh, we get a very cool entrance when he arrives riding the Taruk. Note to everyone, if you ever through your actions, lead to the death of your partner's father, <laughs> all you need to do is arrive on a massive dragon and she will not only forgive you, but will apologise to you for being angry in the first place. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Oh, my God. I never thought, I never, I 
just didn't see it. I was too busy being angry about that it's him. But she's like, my grandfather's father or whatever tamed the last dragon. I was like, I bet it's going to be this guy then. Which is so bad that it's him and it's not one of the other warriors, even though he can have a hand in the story. But I forgot she was, yeah, she's just like, oh God, I'm, so, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. I was angry. I was scared is what she said. I was angry. I was scared. He's like, I mean, he can't say it, but he's pretty much like, don't worry about it. Got a... <laughs> We oh. all made mistakes. <laughs> Got a massive dragon now. Yeah. So Consider I, it forgotten. <laughs> I guess you want to be with me again. Of course you do. Of course you do. That's my dragon right over there. The biggest one. It's the biggest dragon. That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> You've also uh, got you've also got some political stuff happening here, I think, as well, because this was sort of being made in the shadow of the Second Iraq War, mm. and so you've got lines like he's talking about when people are sitting on shit you want, you make them your enemy, then hit them with everything you've got. He's talking about the campaign being shock and awe. Um, you've got some nine eleven imagery as well with the tree going down, everyone running away from it. It's, it, I think, it, you know, it was definitely trying to mirror what was happening in the news at the time. Yeah, and I think that's a really, I, I, I really like Cameron uh, for that. I think that's a mm. really sort of, you know, he's making this huge, it's cost $500 million, he's making this huge movie, and yet he's not afraid to put a statement like that in it. And it was uh, intentional. He says, uh, in reference to the term they use, shock and awe, uh, we know what it feels like to launch the missiles. We don't know what it feels like for them to land on our home soil, not in America. Uh, which he obviously got some criticism for from certain corners of America. And he responded with, I think it's very patriotic to question the system that needs to be corralled. So he's uh, very self-spoken. I think I said this on the 80s episode as well. He he does seem to be someone who who adores military hardware, Mm. but then doesn't like it being used. (laughs) Yeah, but he shoots it so well, as we're going to find out in Section 8. That's Quaritch. Coming for you. <laughs> it was late. That's good. It's rich coming from you. That's okay, rich yep, yep, coming yep. for you. Okay, yeah. Thank right. you. Thank you. It, yeah, it didn't scan. Uh, right. Uh, basically, this is the final battle, which for me is just a joy to watch. And I loved it again this time, not in 3D, because it's James Cameron once again proving that he's one of the, if not the world's greatest action director. It is a phenomenal piece of cinema. Yeah, it's very interesting watching it, having just um, done the Snyder movie. Mm. And seeing someone who's a master action versus someone whose action I I do not care for. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the physics and the spatial awareness and and just the the visual storytelling all seems very joined up here. All of that and also the the moments. It it's like we it's you know it's just the little lines that help sell these things. I mean, for, first of all, it's the the fact that the action is um, completely connected to the story and character. I mean, James Cameron says himself, "I'll go to a Transformers film for the fun of seeing the spectacle, but personally, my soul craves a little more story, a little more meat on the bone, and characters and that sort of thing." And that's what this battle is. The right people get killed and you actually see them die, like the guy at the start, the Dick Marine who gets crushed by the stampede. You've got those great little lines in, all right, ladies, let's bring the pain. And the bit where they fall out of the ships in the walkers and someone goes, we're going to lose some paint in here. I just love those little bits of military jargon. And the battle doesn't scrimp on showing us some actual death, which I, I thought it would, being like a kid's movie. I was like, <laughs> people get spit pierced like by massive arrows. Like people die. Um, 
if I had to pick my favourite moment, it's uh, Michelle Rodriguez's arrival when she strafes Quarish's ship and says, you're not the only one with a gun, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they cast her because we we don't have time to do any character development for your character, any backstory. <laughs> Everyone loves Lottie in Fast and Furious. So just come in, play Lottie <laughs> and it'll yeah. be fine. I think so. Cause I don't know what her deal is. Why? Why is she helping the other side? Why? Like, why is she risking everything? And she turns up, she tr- she tries to kill her boss and obviously she's going to die. What What is it about that that's worth dying for to her? No idea. Uh, now, there are some lovely moments. Uh, I say lovely, just like quite affecting moments in this battle. Um, Natiri's banshee dying uh, got me. Uh, seeing a dire horse on fire running through the forest, that was affecting stuff. Um I will say one thing. Um, for all Jake Sully embracing Na'vi <laughs> culture, it is very useful in this battle that he has a gun and some grenades. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. super useful. But also, do you not feel a bit cheated? There's a bit before the battle where he goes to the tree, the big tree, whatever that's called. The and tree of kneel- souls. The tree Victoria, of souls. Tree right? And souls. He, he kneels in front of it and he says, ugh. I'm probably just talking to a tree. And you think, would you really think after everything you've been through and everything you've seen and everything you've done, you don't just think you're talking to a tree. You can sense the power of this thing. And it's really disrespectful to be like, oh, a bit embarrassing, but yeah, I'm going to talk to a tree. I just didn't believe it. Yeah. There's a nice setup and payoff there. Earlier on, we've seen a Tiri teaching him to use leaves to break his fall, which he doesn't quite manage to do here. He survives a fall using the same leaf technique. Uh, But they're going to lose. The good guys are going to lose. And then Enya finally gets her shit together and answers Jake's prayer and sends all the animals of Pandora into battle and they win. And the Tiri kills Quaritch. And it's just... Pretty, pretty great. Then the end is Jake permanently becoming a Na'vi. And then we're done. Cue truly awful Leona Lewis song, I See You. (laughs) So that's uh, the main part of the movie. A little bit of, obviously, uh, there's a little more to it. Um, uh, The the next section is just called uh, Leona Lewis, I See You. Uh, In Ireland, I See You debuted at number 47 (laughs) for the week of the 15th of January, 2010. Uh, It did uh, make its way onto uh, the United States uh, US Adult Contemporary Chart, where it peaked at number 24. Do you know what PAD is? No. no. So this is a real thing that happened after Avatar, uh, which was post-Avatar <laughs> depression, uh, <laughs> that people reported seeing this movie at the cinema and they loved Pandora so much. Uh, sorry, Victoria, they'd seen it in 3D. They loved <laughs> Pandora so much that they wanted to be there forever, despite knowing it wasn't real, um, which it was a, a real thing, a big thing at the time. People fell in love uh, with this movie. Um, Alex, I... I- I don't think it was a big thing at the time. It's a dumb dumb news story that was spun out on a slow news day. (laughs) Chris, as a pad sufferer myself, um, (laughs) I I don't appreciate your tone. Um, uh, Now, you're a fan of theme parks, Chris. Have you actually been to Pandora, the world of Avatar? I have not. I've heard it's spectacular, but um, I have not. Have you? I have not. I I looked it up on TripAdvisor to sort of see some reviews. Um, 
Yeah, it looks all right. A lot of people are moaning about the, the, the length of queues, normal, uh, in a theme park. Uh, Mike said two attractions, one being a small, boring boat ride that Disney spared <laughs> expenses on, overpriced gift shop and restaurant, round out this tiny land, one star. So uh, my, Mike didn't like it. Well, I think, I think the idea was, was, was for, um, you know, the sequels to be out by the time the theme park opened. And obviously that did no happen. Um, who knows when these sequels will ever see the light of day. Well, it's but. funny you say that because that's what I'm going to talk about next, these sequels. Um, you're, you're right. So the park opened in 2017 and the sequels were originally due. Avatar 2 was due in 2014 and Avatar 3 in 2015. Um, so... It looks like they, I mean, they are definitely coming now and they are definitely coming on definite dates because uh, I, I don't know whether you've looked at all the photos of Avatar 2 that they were doing, all the performance capture underwater. It sounds, I can't believe Kate Winslet, after everything that she went through on Titanic and all the famous horror stories about that movie went, cool, so this is this new Avatar is under the water and it's you, James Cameron, and me again. Maybe she's, I'm on maybe board. she spoke to Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're doing it's performance capture underwater. It sounds crazy. Apparently, Kate Winslet can now hold her breath for seven minutes and 14 seconds uh, underwater, which she's been required to do for this role. Um, but yeah, the Avatar sequels are coming. Uh, Avatar... Two is the 16th of December, 2022. Avatar 3, 2024 in December. And then depending on how those do, it's all very sketchy. You know what they're like. But it's like if they, if they do well, Avatar 4 and 5 will come out. If they don't, then they won't. What do you think the uh, the anticipation levels are like? Because I've always said I cannot believe he's left it this long. I don't think that people are going to be that interested. But genuinely, re-watching it for this show, I'm like, oh, I think they might be, you know. If he re-releases it in 3D, sorry, Victoria, again, beforehand in the UK, like he's done in China, it will reignite people's interest. Yeah, I mean, you said, you, you said you're still excited, but I mean, I genuinely could not care less. But equally, I can remember in 1997, we all laughed at James Cameron. And then when Avatar got delayed, we all laughed at James Cameron. He's always right. He always proves us wrong. It, they will make $2 billion each. So, um, and I'll probably go and see it. So... You know, I can't really talk shit. Yeah, well, you spoke for me, but I am excited. You're absolutely right. I am very, very excited. And I'm just interested to know what he's got up his sleeve because I really, I think after all this time, there must be something else he's going to do. Like what he did with 3D with Avatar, I think there's going to be something. Well, Sigourney Weaver and Stephen Lang are in it, which is interesting. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Stephen Lang. Dead. Said Two dead characters. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure Sigourney Weaver's playing the same character. I mean, it's all it's all the, the rumor mill right now. Like, I, I I don't know, but Stephen Lang seems like apparently he's going to be the villain right through to Avatar Five, and he's all like, yeah, he's changed, he's different, he's a different guy. It's like, oh, okay, how, how is this news? <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, I think I'm done. Uh, Did anyone else watch Fern Gully in the run up to this? <laughs> No, I haven't seen it for years. <laughs> I watched it for the first time. Yeah, um, yeah. There are similarities. It's all about. I mean, it's fairies rather than Navi, but 
everything else is the same. They're, they're tree spirits nurturing all living things and they worship an enchanted tree and the, the hero gets turned into one of them and, and gets taught how to listen to the forest and hear what the forest has to say while he's surrounded by lots of bioluminescence. And when the humans attack, he's telling the tribe they have to leave because they're going to be killed by the humans, but they insist on stay, staying. And then he's, he spends the climax saving them all by flying on the back of a bat rather than a banshee. Um, <laughs> the only major difference really is that at the end he goes back to man rather than uh, Jake Sully um, staying with the, the Na'vi. Which so I, I think I feel like that story beat Avatar got right. Well, I've never seen Fern Gully, so you don't have I to. Feel now. Like, <laughs> okay, that's great. I've been on um, that journey. Well, I'll ask my Oscar question then. So Avatar didn't win. It was up against um, the Blind Side, Inglorious Bastards, up <laughs> up in the air, District Nine, An Education, Precious, A Serious Man, and the winner, The Hurt Locker. Um, a couple of other ones I like that year, Moon and a Prophet. Uh, what would what should have won that year? Should Avatar have been victorious? No, Alex, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you think Hurt Locker was the correct winner oh, that year? I haven't Vicky? seen it, but I love I love the fact that it's, that it's his ex. So. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, I'm in it for that because she just was like, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, that was a um, lot of narrative around that Oscar year. Was was yeah. who would win? Excellent. So, uh, best scene, Chris? Um, In the cinema, uh, I really enjoyed the Banshee flying um, sequence, even though it's much too long watching at home. At home, watching it, I think um, when giant Natiri's cradling baby Jake at the end, (laughs) that shit's hilarious. That really made me laugh. That's the opposite of sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Such a weird image. But yeah, I I couldn't stop laughing when I saw that. So yeah, go for that. (laughs) All right, Victoria, best scene? Ah, oh, I like when we get to see the forest at night. So after Natiri is saved Sully from the whippets and it glows up. And even though I'm getting the poorer experience because of a condition that I have no control over, uh, it wasn't. It was amazing. So that. Uh, mine is the battle at the end. I'm not going to divide it into bits because it just works as a whole. It's James Cameron doing what James Cameron does best, which is amazing action. Victoria, who is your or what is your MVW? It's Zoe Saldana as Natiri. I think she's so good. And I say that not really having loved this film. The way she plays that woman, she's really... Uh, um, what's the right word? Really comfortable with her emotions. She has like temper tantrums, but she's not childish and she's really expressive, but she's still physically powerful. Like if you were rescued by her, you'd be like brilliant, like something, someone competent has turned up to rescue me from these dogs and all the rest of it. But she still seems, she just plays it with enough vulnerability, but also like she's rock hard as well. I think she's really, really honestly good. Okay, Chris? Zoe Saldana as Natiri. <laughs> oh, for the same reasons? Yeah, why not? All right. Uh, James Cameron, because everything. Because uh, you're on pushes... fucking commission, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, you know, I think he's, I mean, there, I, 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 he hasn't made a bad film, in my opinion. He's like, he makes amazing films and he pushes the boundaries and like there are moments and aliens. So I don't need any more aliens. Yeah. Is enough of an answer. So I'm not even going to go into all my reasons why this is great in terms of what he's done. But aliens, so there you go. What would you change, Chris? I mean, ideally, you'd let these people tell their own story. But sort of by doing it through Jake, you've got this white saviour and you deny them their agency. And hopefully that's something they fix in the sequel. So I don't know how you'd fix it here. I don't know. I don't know if you'd maybe make him 
a, a Native American um, person, ex- examine what happened to his people to give it more resonance. I mean, obviously, you don't want to exploit or belittle that real world tragedy, but the parallels they draw aren't exactly subtle in the movie anyway. So I don't know if that would make it more interesting or recast Jake, really. I, I don't think, um, I don't find him very likable in this film. Um, and I think that's a real problem. I don't know if that's the writing or the performance or, you know, if it was an actor that I liked a bit more naturally, if it would work better. But yeah, just something, something, do something about that, our hero. But do you not, do you not agree with Cameron? You could go, you could go for a beer with him, couldn't you, Chris? <laughs> yeah, but that's a different, they're two completely different things, though. I could go for a beer with you, but I wouldn't want to see you in a film. <laughs> well, well, I haven't, I haven't told people about that yet, so keep it on the download. But, uh, but when it comes out, uh, I'll let you know. You'll hear it here first. Uh, Victoria, what would you change? Uh, when Jake Sully is recruited by those two dudes that are like your brothers on fire, so it's inconceivable to me that they wouldn't fix his spine. They're like, oh yeah, but you get you get paid loads of money if you go to Pandora, but uh, we're not going to offer to fix your spine. So they fix it, right? But being inside the tube thing that makes him become an avatar weakens the surgery he's had. So the longer he stays as an avatar the fix that they've done on his spine deteriorates. So his decision to stay as an avatar costs him something in his real human body life. And then you get to a climax where he's told, if you go back in that tube one more time, the surgery will fail forever and you can never have it again. So he has to make a choice. Do you make a life for yourself back on earth, which is what you set up that he's wanted and wanted for ages, or do you risk all of that and go back for love? Mm, Wow, that's nice. I like that a lot. Uh, my change would quite simply be um, you 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 can't you can't have narration throughout a film like you just you, you just can't because the whole thing feels like uh, a flashback and it robs it of any urgency whatsoever. And it's not a flashback. It's not Jake retelling a story from later in his life, as far as I can tell. Like you're you're supposed to be there in the moment and just going. Turns out. I'm about to be attacked by a giant <laughs> dragon just before a dragon attacks you is ridiculous. So that, um, right then, that's us done on Avatar. Uh, thank you. Let's do the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Right then, uh, these were Christopher's choices. So, Christopher, who do you want to go first? Oh, I forgot they were my choices. Um, let's do Vicky first. Uh, so I'll be quick. It was. It's been a bit of a bit of a tough week. <laughs> I didn't love seeing Avatar again, uh, but it was because it was like I was I had my heart broken all over again. Because the first time I was like, "Oh fuck, the 3D thing's not going to work for my stupid eye." And then the second time I was like, "Well, maybe it's actually just a good film." Oh no, fuck, it's not. So that was annoying. And then Dances with Wolves, I did find hard going. That's on me though because. Of of my uh, hangover. So it's just going to be a real sort of splitting hairs thing, uh, which it comes back to your change, Alex. I can't, I cannot cope with the narration. I can't forgive it. It's, uh, I think it's insulting. So I can't give Avatar the my choice because it's, yes, I can't. It doesn't sit well. So by default, Dances with Wolves. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. One for Dancing with Wolves. Right, Alex, yeah. you're up next. Thank you. Uh, um, not actually a tough one for me this week. Uh, if I might paraphrase uh, the great Quint from Jaws, you all know me. Know the kind of movies I like. Uh, 
I enjoy Dances <laughs> with Wolves. Uh, I feel it's deathly slow at times. And it's not just that I like big, unsolved filmmaking. I, I, I think Dances just labours its points a bit. Uh, I, I, I can't be bothered. It's Avatar. Avatar, <laughs> Avatar is my vote. <laughs> Okay. Comes um, down to you, Chris. You love it yeah. when it's your choices and you get to make I don't. the decision. You always say you that and I don't. You love this. You bloody love it. I like it. I like it. I like it when I really want one to win over the other, but I don't like it when I'm as indifferent as I am this week. But <laughs> I haven't I haven't rewatched Avatar since I saw it because nothing about it made me want to revisit it. It was Utterly overwhelming in the cinema. That 3D um, was great, uh, as Vicky said. Mm-hmm. Um, superficially, it does everything a film's supposed to, but the characters are all pretty one-dimensional, which I think is a real problem. Um, that said, I don't know if I've become less patient or tolerant, but I struggle with the length of dances in a way that I didn't in the early 90s when I was 12. <laughs> um, uh, but although I don't like the length, I actually quite like the pace of Dance with Wolves because I think it does immerse you and acquaint you with the pace of that life that he would have been living at the time. Um, and I think there's a purity to the way John Dunbar makes that connection and sees the humanity of the people he's were living with. And I find that spellbinding uh, and I see it as much more cynical the way it unfolds in Avatar. So for those reasons, I'm voting for Dances with Wolves. What? On earth is happening. <laughs> I mean, I really wish I'd finished my pitch because it might have swayed you. I was going to say Avatar... Is is like it's seeing it in the cinema in 3D, and I have I'm I'm gonna say it. It's truly, one of the most momentous viewing experiences of my adult life. And yes, it doesn't hold up on the small screen. And yes, the story could do with a bit of work. And yes, don't narrate what is happening just before it happens. <laughs> why is it, Alex? Alex, why is it left no? A cultural footprint in spite of the fact they made a million toys and they've opened a theme park. Yeah. Because, because you, without the 3D, it's it's not the same movie. It, it would be like listening to Bohemian Rhapsody without the drums. Like, or it would be like, it would be like... It's because of the characters. It's because of the characters. No one wants to dress up as them. No one cares about them. I think that's okay. the problem. In a, in, a, in a serious way, uh, just for, just to be serious for a moment, it, it's that, it's that thing of like the reason the storytelling is so unsubtle is because people needed a, a very simple story, I believe, at that time to to accustom themselves to like the way they were being stimulated visually by this film, and so it had to be broad strokes because we were just sort of like sitting there going. What am I watching? But so, you can have a you can have a Han Solo, can't you? Or you can have a, a Luke Skywalker. These characters that we, you know, you fall in love with as soon as you meet them. I just didn't really feel like that happened here. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not here to debate yeah. it anyway. We've said. I just. I just. I'm trying uh, to reason with you because you, you I, as I usual, you're getting that. upset. You're having one of your verdict meltdowns. <laughs> I'm not having a meltdown. It's because of his James Cameron commission. It's now under threat. He's going to be on the phone to him, going like. I promised you 10% of Avatar 2 if you could constantly go on about how fucking brilliant I am. But Chris and Vicky haven't bought it this week. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, James, I'm sorry. Um, that is us <laughs> done for this week. Uh, but let's look ahead to next week. Victoria, it's your choices next week. Here's a clue. 
And then tell us what they are. <laughs> I could do that. The clue was the man, the myth, the legend. And so, Alex, you're watching Forrest Gump. And Chris, you're watching Big Fish. Ooh. Okay. Right. Forrest Gump versus Big Fish. I like it. Right. Uh, that is your homework then for the weekend. Forrest Gump and Big Fish have a feel-good weekend. Uh, if you haven't already, do please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter, at ClashPod, on Instagram, at ClashPod. Back on Monday, talking about Forrest, Forrest Gump. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.